Welcome to Curious with Josh Peck. Start the show. Welcome back to the Curious Podcast. My name is Josh Peck, and I'm your host, and your name is Listener, and that's what you do. You listen. Not a long, not a long intro today. Fuck that. I don't feel good. Your boy is a little under the weather. That's right. I'm fallible. Damn it. I am an imperfect human who can, you know what, I can catch a bug or three. And that's my truth, and I'm not going to hide it anymore because I want to get real intimate with you guys. And not Harvey Weinstein intimate, I want to get emotionally intimate. I want to. Re- I want you guys to know the real me. And the real me is feeling a little gassy and a little indigestion and a lot of nausea. But weirdly, not feeling much insecurity at the moment because I've obviously just overshared. Anyway, the Academy Awards were announced today, the nominations. Wonderful films, lots of art. Art contests, gotta love them because it's obviously based completely, you know, it's it's totally objective. And, and it, it's just like an easy point system to decide what piece of art is better than the other. Obviously. Come on. This is... This is clear. It's a photo finish. You know what I mean? Uh, But one, you know, notable movie performance that was completely left out, which just ruffled my feathers and stuck in my craw, was Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems. This, let me tell you guys something, and I just have to share this. First of all, Sandman, Adam Sandler, what what a fucking performance you gave. And listen, if me bloviating about your prowess as not only an actor but an artist makes you compelled to come on my podcast so be it but it's not about that not for me not for me i'm into it because i just want to look another artist in the face audio style and i want to say you fucking killed it my friend knocked it out of the park uh, one of his best performances uh, uh Without a doubt. Uncut Gems, Softy Brothers. Holy shit, guys. What? How did you do that? You know, I work I, I work a little bit in show business, so like I, I do know what it takes to put together a film and, and from its inception to its final delivery, it's it's fucking lightning in a bottle when it really works. I mean, I always make this joke. I, nobody on, you know, well, maybe not nobody, but most movies that anyone makes, everyone, you know, is looking around at each other during filming going, I think, I think we got something really, really special. I think this is, this is going to be it. See you guys at Sundance. See you guys on the big stage. You know, I think very rarely does anyone go into it going like, this is a clunker. This is hot trash. Man, this is going to pay for two years of my kid's private school, and that is the only good it's going to do me because it's going to be an artistic brush fire, goddammit. But anyway, even, you know, the movies with the best intentions, sometimes with a lot of money and resource behind it, don't quite connect. But this, this movie was excellent. Uncut Gems, Unbelievable, Softy Brothers, you want to be on the podcast, you have an open invitation. I will, I'll come to you, assuming you're, you know, within the Los Angeles area. Even New York. Listen, I, I I travel with this podcast. I make the rounds. I don't know why I talk like this sometimes. I think it, it kind of amuses me and sort of turns me off. So with that being said, on today's show, Laura Wasser, uh, sort of the... I, I don't want to call her the divorce attorney to the stars, but she's brilliant. Uh, she is an attorney. She's 
the managing partner, as you'll come to find out, of her law firm. I saw her perform or be interviewed at my friend uh, Neve Shulman and his wife Laura's show at the Largo, which was really good. And as soon as I saw her come on stage and the stories that she was sharing and her insight, I was like, oh my gosh, I would love to have her on the podcast. And she did not disappoint. Uh, she's She has a website called itsovereasy.com, which you will come to find out exactly what kind of website that is spoiler alert it's how to get divorced in a jiffy but um i don't know she was just a wealth of information she's incredibly smart and i picked her brain and yeah and and don't get any fucking ideas guys because i am happily married okay we are going strong two plus years but you know listen i do this for you guys you know what i mean i do it for you so you're welcome anyway enjoy laura wasser Feel free to use the headphones. Let me know if the... I can adjust your level. Here. Pull that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that'll help. Sound good? Yes. Love it. Thank you for doing this. Uh, it's my pleasure. I'm very excited. <laughs> um, so being like the preeminent divorce attorney, I'm just going to say globally. Okay. I'll yeah. let you. Why not? Sure. Do you believe in love? <laughs> Absolutely. I, not only that, I'll do you one better. I believe in marriage as well. I really do. Really? What I don't believe in is um, I don't believe in staying in a miserable relationship. Mm. And I also don't believe in making breakups, whether they be divorce or moving out of a cohabitation situation or transitioning from being parents who live under the same roof to co-parents who live in different homes um, and and animosity-ridden, miserable process. What Are there statistics right now of marriages that succeed as opposed to marriages that end in divorce? Yeah, the divorce rate in this country is still 50%. Now, again, it's always skewed. It is my understanding that fewer people are getting married. Mm. Um, and so that doesn't, we can't necessarily track the people that are in long term relationships and then break up or our parents of children that never got married like I was. Um, so it's hard to say. I, like I said, I'm hearing that the divorce rate is dropping, but I've not actually seen those statistics. I've read a lot of articles about it and I'm waiting to see how that actually pans out. I will tell right. you, as a divorce practitioner, I am not seeing any lag whatsoever in Southern California. And and again, that's in high-end cases that we represent at our firm, mm-hmm. and also self-represented litigants when I'm downtown in Los Angeles and on my um, website, It's Over Easy, people are still getting divorced in droves. So, Plenty of work. Yes. Um, oh my God, this is so multi-tiered because, you know, I'm newly married Congratulations. Thank you for You're not two wearing years. a ring. I, Am I not supposed to say that? Please, you it's can a out gorgeous me. gorgeous ring. Thank you. <laughs> what can I say? Diamonds, <laughs> cubic zirconiums. I, so I recently got uh, the letter of her name tattooed on my finger. Okay. Because I'm not, I'm not a jewelry guy. I'm not, yeah. My dad never wore a ring, although that didn't work out too well for them anyway. But I'm just <laughs> saying, like, I, I get that. Yeah. Um, my ex, and we were not married, but we had a kid, and I was pregnant, and I was like, well, I'm totally, like ripping my body apart. So what are you going to do? And yeah. to this day, he still has my initials on his wrist. 
Very nice. I mean, he's a lawyer and my initials are law, so he could totally play it off. It's fine. Oh, that's great. <laughs> like, my last name is Peck and my wife's name is Paige, so I said, don't get any ideas. Exactly. Because I got an easy out here. There you go. Um, why do you think you never got married? I did get married. I you got did. married for like 14 months when I was 25, So, mm. and we didn't have kids. You're like George Clooney. Remember, like, before he got married? Yes. He had, like, been married for a second? Yes. Okay. So, yeah, but except for the differences, I didn't... Where's my Amal? You need your male Amal. <laughs> I have my male Amal. He's lovely, You're but we male. don't intend to get married. Exactly, my Amal. <laughs> um, so so I was married really briefly um, when I was 25. Gorgeous wedding, 10 bridesmaids, 10 groomsmen, huge party at the Bel Air Hotel. And then we kind of realized that probably marriage wasn't quite for us. And then after that, Maybe 10 years later, I moved in with somebody. We were in a very monogamous relationship. We had a baby. And then a few years after he, the baby was born, we split up. And then I met another guy and got together with him and had a baby. And then a couple of years after that baby was born, we split up. So I've got two kids from two different dads, neither to whom I was married. And put it this way, we're all together at Thanksgiving, everybody. Really? And my current boyfriend and his two kids. Yes. What do you attribute that to? I think part of it has to do with the way that my parents um, split up and how amicable and, and child-centered they were. And I think a lot of it has to do with what I do for a living and what my kind of life mission has become, which is to make, to change the face of divorce, mm. to make it so that, I mean, people have been getting divorced for a long time. And what's really astonishing to me is that there's been so little change in the way we approach it. That's stupid. I mean, right. that, there's nothing else to say. Breakups are hard. They are sad. It is heartbreaking. It's difficult. But it doesn't have to be as acrimonious as so many people make it. And it certainly doesn't have to be as expensive. Yes. And so if we can do it in a way that keeps our finances intact and our psyche intact, and yes, it's sad. You should be seeing somebody, a mental health practitioner, or if you can't afford that, you know, group support at your church or your temple or your local college, whatever it is having those conversations, but not necessarily with an attorney. Most divorces in this country are not that complicated. We should be figuring out custody in ways that kids get as mo much time with each of their parents as possible, assuming parents are, you know, again, they don't have to be perfect parents. None of us are. But as long as nobody's beating or sexually abusing anybody or, you know, a drug and alcohol addict, then even though if he's not the greatest dad in the whole world, okay, they don't brush their teeth every single time they sleep at his house. They still should have the benefit of knowing who their father is growing up. Is the nature of how messy divorces get because a breakup hits us on such a fundamental level of it confirms our suspicion that we're not enough? That's part of it. But like it's the also ego, the pride. Yeah. Thing. And and you feel like a failure mm. and you and it something that you thought was gonna be one way isn't gonna be that way. Mm. Now add that a very complicated legal process that you don't understand. Enter a divorce lawyer who I mean, think about it. The nature of divorce lawyers is we charge you more money as you cannot solve your problems. More conflict equals more money. Mm. That's a very, you know, tight line to walk. And I say that to people all the time. If you guys can't figure this out, I make more money. I drive a Porsche. Yeah, yeah. This is great for me. Nice. What kind of Porsche? It's a Carrera. No big deal. Good for, <laughs> we're not fucking, we're number one. We ain't driving a Boxster out here, okay? A Carrera. <laughs> 
So yeah, so I mean, that's why I came up with the idea for it's over easy because I really do believe if you give people the information that they need, they can apply it to their circumstances, they can do it on their own. Mm. And when you're doing it on your own and you are the master of your own destiny, then you don't start or you don't get caught in that, I'm not enough, I'm a failure, I'm a loser, I suck. You figure out, hey, I did this. I did it with him or her. We're okay. If we have kids together, we're still going to co-parent. We're still going to be homies. We're still going to have each other's backs. We may not want to get in bed together every night and wake up together every morning, but we still are there for each other because we're still family. And our kids know that, and that's awesome. And hey, guess what? We still have some money in their college fund because we didn't spend it all on divorce attorneys and forensic accountants and witnesses and exhibits and all that stuff. It sounds so beautifully measured. It makes sense in so on paper, and yet just knowing the emotionality of people, it seems almost impossible. And I'm telling you it's not, because we've been doing this now for two years. Look, this is the way we've always practiced at our firm. Even though those people are paying a ton of money, we've Mm. said the same thing, which is this problem can be solved. Let's get into mediation. Let's talk about it. Let's take some of the emotion out of it. Yes, it's emotional. I'm not saying it's not, but that's not the place to have that emotional forum in your divorce lawyer's office or in the courtroom. That's in therapy. And it, it does work. People can do it. And if you didn't come into it thinking like, oh my God, I'm getting divorced. If you came into it thinking, okay, this is going to be a sucky time, but it's just, I got to get through this to get to the next chapter of my life. And you approached it that way, you'd be okay. So what's it like? How do you serve both masters of A, serving what your client asks for and wants? And on the other side, saying to yourself, if you feel something's like really unfair, Like, where do you speak up? When do you make a stand? Do you draw a line with your client? Yeah, I'm in a very fortunate position where I sit in not only at our firm, because I'm the managing partner, but also just in terms of where our firm sits in the family law community, that we don't have to take clients that we don't want. So if Mm. I have somebody come in and I feel like their expectations are really unrealistic, you know, a parent that says, oh, I want full custody of my kids. He slept with the, you know, with the nanny and he should be punished and I don't want him to have any time with our kids. A lot of guys sleeping with nannies. A lot of nannies sleeping, but it doesn't make them bad dads. Don't make them bad husbands. Don't get a hot nanny. Right. Well, again, right? Right. But you know, they're sleeping with the pigs too. So, but, you know, that to me is an unrealistic expectation. Mm. And if I say like, I got to be real honest with you, I'm not going to blow sunshine up your ass. Your husband, although you may not like him very much right now, is going to have a significant amount of time with your kids, whether that's 50-50 or, you know, uh, they're going to be able to see their dad. Mm. And they say, well, you better make sure that doesn't happen. I'm going to, I say, yes, actually, I'm not going to make sure of anything because I will not be representing you. You should go elsewhere. Or somebody comes in and says, I'm not going to be a spousal support. I, I don't believe in it. I don't think it's right. I'm like, dude, you got married in California, you're paying spousal support. Right. Plenty of women come in and say, well, I, I'm not paying spousal support. I'm the I'm the woman. Totally. Not true. I mean, Law's gender blind, unfortunately. You're paying spousal support if you were the breadwinner. Well, it, I mean, it is sort of like for, and I find it so terribly annoying where now in this day and age of the Me Too's, you'll hear these douchey men being like, well, what about, you know, my rights? But into your point, like we are seeing that where it is going both ways, especially now, right? Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. I have had more than a couple of women come into me in the last five or six years and say, okay, this is what I want to do. And I'm going to keep the house. I'm going to have the kids. My nanny's going to do this. They basically just want them to disappear. And I get that. But Mm. I say, you know, if the genders were reversed, you would be writing a check every month and probably he'd have more custodial time than you because he works less and you'd give him half of everything you made, including your retirement and your pension. And she's like, no way. 
that is so unfair. And I'm like, well, it's been unfair for many, many years to the guys. Right. Don't marry them if you think they're going to be a deadbeat. Welcome. Yeah. My buddy always says this about his relationship, and he says, the state of California only looks at a marriage as a business, that you've started a business with another person. And he goes, which is why you should get in couples therapy immediately. He's like, because couples therapy is like a board meeting for your business. I think that's really true. It's really smart. And I also really, I mean, I tell people all the time, get into couples therapy when things are going well, Mm. not just running in for like crisis control. Go in so that you develop the tools to learn how to speak to your board, so to speak. And so that when then there is a problem, because there will be in any relationship, now you know how to speak. Now you know the tools, you know where to go, you know how to make up, and that'll work. It's like going to the gym. You don't only go to the gym and you realize that you're a fatty. You go to the gym because you're keeping your body toned and in shape and it feels good. That is the same with couples counseling, whatever you want to call it, therapy, marriage counseling, whatever. Do it while things are good. You need the maintenance. You need the maintenance. And you do and you do need to look at your marriage. I know it sounds very unromantic, but there is a part of your marriage that is a business or a or a transaction or a deal. Everybody knows it, nobody wants to admit it, but if we once we can admit it, it makes a lot more sense. Mm. My job in this marriage is I'm going to be the person that, you know, makes all of the kids lunches. Your job is you take out the garbage or vice versa whatever. That's your job. That's what we're going to do here. And if that shifts because you never are home in time to take the garbage out for when they come on Thursday mornings, we got we got to fix it. We got to fix it so that I'm not taking the garbage out and making lunches for the kids. We got to shift. Right. Do you think that, has there ever been a moment where people have come in looking for a divorce and you look at them and go, I think you guys got a chance. Totally. <laughs> you guys can make totally. it. Totally. The more passion there is, I mean, when somebody comes in and they're just completely like, there's no anger, passion, whatever, I'm like, okay, this is probably done. But a lot of times I have had people get back together. And are you stoked? I'm happy for them if they're happy. Sometimes I'll be like, they'll be back. I mean, you never know. <laughs> you really never know. And and one thing that I've learned in doing this for 25 years is you really don't ever know what happens behind closed doors. And also, you can't judge. I mean, everybody has their stuff. And I've seen it all. Do they ever ask for a refund if they get back together? <laughs> well, no, because our retainers are refundable. So they yeah. get a refund if they get back together. I oh, mean, really? Not if they've spent the money on the fees, but they give us a retainer and we bill them against the retainer. So mm. yes, they don't get their money back. If like I've had some clients that have worked all the way through the divorce and then they get back together. That yes. money's not coming back. Yeah, fair. Um, so for you, where you grew up in LA? Yeah, I went to Beverly Hills High School. Wow. Yeah. So that's a very specific... So what kind of relationships were you surrounded by growing up? I mean, obviously, you said your parents had a really amicable separation, but did you had, have models of, of really successful relationships or not so much? Well, my parents didn't split up until I was a teenager, so their relationship was pretty successful. There was always a lot of respect and and civility there, even when they did split. By the time they split up, I was already, I think, a junior in high school. So I, you know, and I wanted, you know, juniors in high school, they don't want to have anything to do with their parents anyway. I didn't care if they were together or apart. But um, so it wasn't super traumatic. It wasn't super traumatic. Um, and you know, a lot of the kids I went to school with parents got divorced. I mean, that's just, it was Beverly Hills in the eighties. Um, it was mostly entertainment industry people, not so many in front of the camera people as behind the camera people, a lot of executives and a lot of agents and and business managers and entertainment attorneys and stuff like that. There weren't, I mean, the (laughs) influx of Persians really came in the later eighties. So there weren't as many when we were growing up and the ones that were, were here fairly early and they all spoke English and they, we hung with them. They were lovely. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, but and there's way more Persian people now in Beverly Hills, Beverly Hills High School. Also, there was a very big change in the late 70s in the tax laws in California and specifically with regard to education. So a lot of the public schools, particularly the Beverly Hills school system, kind of went downhill after Proposition 13. So a lot of people pulled their kids out of public schools. And that's why you see so many kids living in that same area now being in private. Right. So, You're like, I don't care about that. <laughs> no, I mean, I went to Beverly Hills. I went to Beverly Vista, okay. which was the middle school. I went to El Rodeo. I'm telling you. So it's like, and there, yeah, you're right. Like this was, I mean, my mom and I moved here from New York mm-hmm. and I'm 12 or 13 years old. And she's like, well, we're going to live in Beverly Hills because what the fuck? Right. Like, that's where you go. Right. And then, yeah. And that was like, the schools were great and it was a little slice of Persian heaven. Yes. You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it was, it was great, but it was very, it, uh, definitely a, a shift from what I was used to in New York. Yes. So, so you're growing up and you go to Berkeley? I did my undergrad two years at NYU and two years at Cal. I was a rhetoric major at Cal. And What's I, rhetoric? Rhetor- rhetoric is kind of like it's argument. You know, when people say mm. spare me your rhetoric. So rhetoric is and and it was a, it's a great major. There's not many countries in there's not many schools in the country that have it. So we would take rhetoric of avant-garde poetry or rhetoric of art history. So you look at a painting and you're not studying brush strokes or color blending. You're saying what argument was the artist trying to make? What was he or tr- she trying to say? Mm. And so and and then there was also like a lot of debate, public speaking that went into that. So it was kind of the art of of the argument, I would say. And it was a great lead-in for law school, obviously. Is it, I mean, it sounds law adjacent, right? It is. It's law adjacent. It's kind of like pre-law. And do you get, so are are you knocking out some of your like uh, pre-rec credits in that? No. No. So. I just got really good at arguing about shit. Oh, man. (laughs) And how did that serve you later on in life with relationships? I was already pretty good at arguing about shit because both my parents were lawyers. So then I went into that, did well there. Um, Most of the men that I've dated are like, please, I can't just whatever it is, whatever you want. Yes, because I can't argue with you about it. I mean, you think like I'm finding more and more having been with my wife for eight years that being um, skilled at arguing or overly communicative is actually bad. (laughs) <laughs> it doesn't serve me at all. Yeah. I mean, I guess it can be frustrating, but it is important to have the conversation. So mm. the communication is good. You may not win the argument, so to speak, but it's good to kind of, if you repress those feelings and the communication, then you will have issues. So don't stop yes. communicating. Don't stop arguing. I will say this, being a family law attorney, a divorce attorney for all these years, my boyfriend and I barely ever argue just because like by the time I get home, I'm just so tired of listening to people argue we, we just don't you get along also i think when you get old you argue less old i <laughs> i yeah i mean i it's it's a beautiful balance and i find that you know my best friend when he met his wife i, I find the person you decide to be with is so revealing of what you truly need yeah and i remember when my best friend met his wife i was like i can't believe really like a woman just like your mom <laughs> but wow inside, did he see that i think he just and his mom is the best. Right. But I sort of, I grew up with a typical New York Jewish mother, and I married a great waspy Irish Catholic girl from Manhattan Beach. So you did the exact opposite. Exactly. But are you finding after eight years that there's things about your wife that that actually are very similar to your mom? You're good. Yes. <laughs> okay. I am. Okay. But I also find a great, so like what my best friend needed in his wife was someone who was similar in that respect. And what I needed in my wife, and especially the way we deal with conflict or debate, 
is that I'm overly communicative because my mom was a single mom, only child. All we did was talk. Right. Talk, talk, talk. Right. And like, and sometimes, and she's one of four, and part, being part of a big family, you know, you could allow things to just kind of go away. Well, and wasp. It's so yeah. more. Beautiful. They don't talk about stuff. They just, you know. It's kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's taught me. So, yes, we communicate. And when things are really important, we'll have it out. But sometimes she'll take the air out of things and I'll get hot and bothered. She'll be like, no, no. It doesn't require all this energy. Right. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what you guys do when you have kids and how you we parent do. them. Oh, you have a kid. Yeah, okay. I just eight month old. <gasps> Congratulations. Thanks. How, boy or girl? Little boy. Okay. Fun. He's fun. And similarly, like, she's very level-headed. Good. And we like that. Yes. And it's made him very, like, he's just a chill kid. Good. And I'm like, you're great. Because huh? I've seen these pedantic parents that are like, you know, they bump their head. And Helicopter. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. And, and the kid is like, looks like they need Prozac. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be like that. Okay. I'm, I'm going to try. Okay. But, like, it was interesting, right? Because my wife and I got married I've been lucky enough to work since I was a kid, and I support my mom since I was like 14. So okay. I came with a Barbara. <laughs> Is Barbara still here in LA? Yeah. She's still in the apartment in Beverly Hills? Marina or? Del Rey. Okay. All right. Condo. <laughs> <laughs> and so when I was, when my wife and I got engaged and we were going to get married, it was suggested to me to explore a prenup. Okay. Because... It, less about me, more about just protecting my mom that God forbid that she would be taken care of. She's 75 and yeah. Okay. So I go in and we meet this lovely lawyer and she kind of gives us, you know, just an hour of her time explaining the ins and outs of the prenup. And I left there feeling so sick to my stomach at the idea of having to tell my wife, like, listen, you're going to have to get a lawyer yourself and you're going to have to read this 40 page document that basically says like, the most, I mean, you can speak to it. Those documents for prenups are crazy, right? What we usually do at my office when we do prenups is we do like a term sheet. So that's mm. like two pages that just addresses all the terms. There's a lot of boilerplate language. It's very interesting to me because it's to get divorced in California. And I realized this when we started the website, you can do that on your own. Okay. But you to get married with a prenup, you must have two attorneys. Yes. And again, that's so that everybody knows what they're getting into. So many people that get married in all over the country don't know that they're entering into a contract. You've got a contract for your florist and your caterer and your venue and everything. But the biggest contract you're entering into is your marriage contract. And people don't even know what the terms are, which is why, as, as I was saying earlier, some of these women come in and go, well, I'm not paying spousal support. Yeah. You are. Right. So I think it's really important, even if you don't have a prenup, and you'll tell me what ended up happening after you had this sick feeling in your stomach and all that, that you at least understand what the law is where you're getting married and that both of you have an understanding of what the terms of your contract are and if you want to opt out of it. Right. If you were, you know, 45 and you'd been working all this time and you had millions of dollars and you made a million a movie or 20 million a movie and you got married to somebody who was, you know, in her 20s, wouldn't you be like, I don't know that I want to share my 2020 movie, my $20 million with you if we split up? Yes. Because you worked a long time to be that person. And for you, starting as a kid, you worked a long time to be that person. So maybe you don't want to share the spoils of that if something were to happen. But the money you make up until you get married is separate. Separate. But the reputation that you 
have? I mean, obviously, you get paid more than a guy the same age as you that's doing his first gig because sure. you've been in the business for years. Sure. So you've worked a long time to become who you are and ask for whatever quote your agent's asking for for you. There's something to be said about that. And mm. again, the older you get and the more you've been through, the more you feel that way. Yeah. I didn't do the prenup. I had a feeling about that. <laughs> I couldn't. She can have it all. Right. <laughs> I'll, I'll give her your number if it doesn't work out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's, it's all good. Yeah. I mean, but I, to your point, I didn't have such like insane assets right. that I had accrued where it was necessary. My mom, to your point, was safe because anything that I'd made before right. would be taken care of. And like now with the kid and, and, it, it it makes me sick at the idea of God forbid it didn't work out that she wouldn't be completely taken right. care of. And what I often have is people that come in that have had prenuptial agreements and they say, "This I'm just going to use this as my baseline. I want to go above and beyond. I want to make sure he or she is taken care of. Mm. You can't put anything about child custody or support in a prenup. So you're always going to be doing whatever the law requires at that time about those issues. So, you know, like I said, it's a baseline. And for me, more important than anything is that people are having the conversations prior to getting married and they understand what the deal is. Yes. What state would you not want to get divorced in? Well, I wouldn't want to get divorced in California because I make a lot of money. But if I was, I mean, and for example, Texas does not have big support for the un, you know, the non-breadwinning spouse. Mm -hmm. Very small. Um, even Seattle, Washington. I had a case a couple of years ago where the parties originally split up in Washington state and the child support there for a guy that was making literally, you know, 10, 15 million a year was for two kids at the time, a combined um, $3,100. Okay. And then they moved to California. So since there was a change of jurisdiction, and everybody had moved, even though they were divorced, one kid had aged out. So they only had one kid left. Mm. We ran the guideline support numbers based on this guy's $10 million income, and it was 65000 a month. So that's the difference in what guideline even just child support can be. Wow. That's why you have so many baby mamas living here in California. That's a big difference. Yes, it is. It's a nice lifestyle, 65 grand a month. Yeah. And right? again, then you then you then the attorney comes in and says, That's way beyond the child's reasonable needs. Let's mm. figure out now you back into what the kid actually needs. Right. But again, what he or she needs is going to be based upon what his or her wealthier parent has. So need is very subjective because if my ex is, you know, driving a Bentley and flying private and has a 5,000 square foot house with a pool, then my need for my kid is maybe not a Bentley, but it's going to be a nice, nice safe car with good insurance. He should have a pool at my house as well. Don't you think? Maybe not fly private, but at least first class so that then kids aren't going, God, my lifestyle is so different when I'm at mom's. It sucks. I'm in like a one bedroom apartment, you know, in Van Nuys. Right. I want where I want to be with dad more. Maybe the kid could benefit from flying Southwest well, once or twice. Believe me, I've seen a lot of those kids <laughs> too in my practice. Right? <laughs> yes. So obviously you have this, and it's you know public knowledge, you have this track record of working with these really high-profile people and you know huge actors and whatnot. What do you think, why you? Why have they, obviously you've got this track record now, but you know, I know for me, I've dealt with some famous people before, and they take they require special handling. So, what what do you attribute that to that you've been so successful working with these high profile people? I don't know. I'm I think I'm I'm lucky. You mm. know, I've had really good referral sources. So, you represent one high profile person, and then he or she says, "Oh, Laura was really good. She made it less expensive. She made it less taxing emotionally." 
I think our firm has always really taken pride in the fact that we will not speak about our clients um, publicly. So that's part of it. And then I think another part of it is we really don't blow sunshine up their asses. We don't tell them that we can achieve things we can't. We're very realistic and very honest with them. And we also try to settle most of our cases. Mm. Are you ever starstruck? I mean, there have been a few times when I've been starstruck, but I don't know if it's been with people that have come into the office. It's weird. When you represent somebody, you really take on a different role. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely been times that I've been out and I've seen people and been like, oh my God, that was such a good sighting. Remember, I've lived here my whole life. So it's not like most of the time I'll see somebody. Now at my kid's school, there's like some famous actors that are parents there and I'll like see them and be like, hey. Oh, I don't know you. Or like, right. did you go to camp as Kramer? And they're like, no, I'm on a network TV show. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm, I'm so I'm Kevin Hart. Right? <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, starstruck. I mean, years ago, I met Stevie Wonder, and he's become actually like a dear friend. But when I first met him, I was like, holy fuck, I'm representing Stevie Wonder. And oh he's God. the most... And, and he so kind of deserves and exudes that complete... I mean, he's just an icon, and that's how he is and who he is. And so even still now... As I said, he's a good friend, like calls me all the time and everything. I'm still like, it's Steve. I can't believe it. Oh, yeah. I don't think I could ever get comfortable being friends with Stevie Wonder. He's awesome. Does it ever get annoying? Like, uh, because I find that high profile people also want special treatment. Again, we're seeing them during a very raw time in their lives. Mm -hmm. I won't say that everybody's always been the most, you know, genteel and wonderful. I've had people say, I mean, we and we're also pretty good with guidelines starting out. You know, if somebody says to me, well, can't you just deal with my assistant? I'm like, no. I, yes. You know, I don't know. Your assistant doesn't know what you want for, you know, custody. You're paying me a lot of money. I'm guessing you want me to deal with you. Yeah, there needs to be some special handing. But most of the time it has to do with things like media and stuff like that. It's not necessarily their fault. Are there douchebags? Yeah, there's douchebags all the time. There are. There are douchebag bankers, you know, just like there's douchebag NFL players or actors. So That's true. just a matter of character. There is, there. what I will say is that a lot of high profile people, whether it's wealth or, you know, celebrity, are used to being told yes. Mm. They, are, they have surrounded themselves with people that say yes, because they can. And I can't be that person because I'm actually an officer of the court. I have to I have to say no if I know that that is what the law is going to say. So I may be the one person that says no. Sometimes they don't like that and they end up not wanting to work with me. And sometimes they say, I just really appreciate that you're being honest with me because all these assholes just tell me yes all the time. They want me to get back in front of the camera so they can get their you know, 10, 15, 5%. And I said, I'll bail by the hour. So it doesn't matter to me what if I say yes or no. I just want to be honest with you. Right. So smart. What about... Oh, Officer of the court. That sounds good. Doesn't that sound good, though? Do you ever want to be called, like, Esquire? No, but I am. I mean, I am called Esquire, but yeah. yeah. And I guess because I have a Juris Doctorate, I could. I know some lawyers that insist on being called Doctor. But That's there's already weird. a Doctor, Laura. I know. I, then I feel like <laughs> someone's going to be like, can you feel this gland? And I'm like, no, I know nothing about that. I think you probably have a venereal disease. Uh, probably. <laughs> Has that ever led to divorce? Someone? <laughs> yes. But what is more important is we will have tort claims, which are, you know, the transmission of uh, an STD. You know, back in the day, those would, you'd get like 50 grand for one of those. Now, <gasps> you've seen some cases in the news, people saying that they have them. It's, very, it's a very interesting field of law, very difficult to prove where you got herpes, for example, from. 
wait, so you gave me chlamydia, I'm going to need 50 grand. Yes. So worth it. <laughs> <laughs> you could knock that out with a Z-pack. Uh-huh. No, Kevin? I'll take chlamydia right now for I, 50 I, grand. I don't know if chlamydia would do it. I've, we've really had way more herpes cases, but yes. Because it's for life. Because it's for life. Sure. And, but again, no way to prove where you got it. I mean, how can you prove it? Right. So... Then we had a case where the guy, the woman was suing. She didn't have it, mm. but she had such emotional devastation when she heard that the guy she slept with had it. She was suing him too. Fascinating. Yeah, there's. I mean, emotional emotional distress cases in the state in this day and age. I mean, you could spend all, your whole life doing them. Can we get in? I, I know when I saw you with um, with Neve that you had mentioned um, the story about the wine bottles. Yes. Is, do Do you have a couple highlights of that? That like, store, I was a baby lawyer, so what they would do is they'd send me out to kind of, you know, oversee things when things would happen, because you can't really just have a file clerk do it. You want somebody who, like, knows what the law is. So this this guy had a wine cellar, a very big wine cellar, and his wife was taking, she, they, she was the second wife, so she wasn't able to take actually, like, half the wine, but there was a certain amount of wine that she was supposed to be taking when she was moving out of the big house. So I'm there with the movers and the special people that come to wrap the wine up in the special things to make sure it doesn't get broken. Da, da, da. And I kind of sit down with my notepad and I'm in front of the wine cellar sitting outside and the folks go down to start removing the wine. And the guy comes out and says like, you know, he was a Hispanic and he's like, um, can you come look at this for a minute? And I'm like, what? What do I know? I was literally in my late 20s. And I, all I knew about wine is like how much the ratio to getting like completely fucked up was yeah. for me. As wine opposed in a to, bag. Yeah, exactly. Good. Good. good one. Ripple. Right. Perfect. So he takes me down there and she had steamed off every single label of every single wine bottle in this guy's extensive collection. Awesome. Gone off. And the guy and the and the wine guys that were coming to pack everything up were literally like sick about it. Because this is what they do. When and then I called my office, I told my senior partner, he was like, Oh fuck, you know, we gotta tell Leonard that was the guy. So then we told Leonard and he actually he, this guy's passed away now, but may he rest in peace. He was the coolest guy. He kind of like laughed because he was he had married this younger woman and I think he felt like I probably deserve it, whatever he did to you know get this divorce going on. And he would have thereafter, every Thursday night he would have like a guest the wine party and they'd pour it. It was all good. Right. And you'd have to guess what it was and when it was from. And some of the bottles still had like, you know, imprinted in the actual glass, something so you could kind of tell. Right. But he made a game out of it. What? And then a few years later, he died in Italy, happy with the third wife, I think. So, really? Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Probably under her. <laughs> <laughs> Wine is such a stupid hobby anyway. Like, I don't know. I mean, a, a, you know, a thousand dollar bottle of wine. I'm sober 12 years, so what do I know? <laughs> but... Uh, anything, I mean, I, do you have more of those? Like A really good one happened a couple of years ago. A client that I had was, um, I think he was a producer on something that was nominated for an Oscar. And he and his wife had split out, split up. And he had moved out. But for whatever reason, when the tuxedo was being delivered um, from whatever, whoever it was, Tom Ford or Gucci, whatever, it got delivered to his old house. They must have still had that on file. So she mm. opens the door and she says, oh, he's not here. You're going to have to take it to wherever he's staying on the Wilshire Corridor and that, or that big building down on Ocean. 
hang on one second. And she must have disappeared for a second with the tuxedo or something because she gave it back to the guy and they delivered it. So now it's, you know, Oscar afternoon and he's going to get dressed and he did it and he puts on the shirt. And he d- thank God he kind of must have had one of those mirrors because on the back of the shirt written in Sharpie, it said fucking fraud. Great. <laughs> and he had to scramble around and find another. Luckily, he had another tuck shirt. But he's like, can you believe this happened? I said, put the shirt away, put a different shirt on. I can't wear a different shirt. I said, thank God she didn't write it in, you know, on the actual tuxedo. Right. Go to the thing. You're fine. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. How much of you of that are you doing as far as talking people off the ledge? A lot. A lot. I mean, you know, generally he probably would have called somebody else, but he knew I knew all of the intimate details of what had gone on in his divorce. So he called me. I mean, I have I take a lot of calls on the weekend. You know, a lot of it is not real legal expertise. There's nothing that could have been done. You know, it's just storytelling and dealing with things and whatever. And sometimes people just need someone to talk to. And it's, will you tell me, like, what are the steps when you file for divorce, like, and you say that most of your cases hopefully end in some sort of settlement, but is it like, does it go to mediation and then eventually you're seen by a judge? No. What we will usually do is the first thing that needs to happen is you need to get a lot of financial information, okay? Most of the time they kind of know what they want to do with the kids or they can work that out, but financial information to figure out basically what they have, what they owe, because there's a lot of debt involved, mortgages or credit cards or whatever, what they make, Mm. income, and then what they spend, so lifestyle. Those are like kind of the four corners. Once you have that information, whether it's their business manager, forensic accountant going through it, and in this town, people really have big and small years. It's not just your normal guy that's making the same amount every year. There could be someone that made a lot of money in 2018 and is not going to make anything in 2019. If they're musicians and they're recording an album, the years that they're recording are not nearly what the years that they tour in. So you get all that information. And if you need to do an average of income or whatever, and then you kind of come up with what could be a reasonable proposal on all things, custody, support, division of the assets. Those are the main three. And you will usually schedule a time with a mediator, a retired judge, somebody that can kind of act as a neutral. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then we both present our positions and they help us work it out and we get it written up in some kind of a deal and you're done. You don't ever have to go to court if you do it that way. We present all the papers to the judge. That's why you don't see a lot of these people in court. And is that when you have the retired judge or or the mediator, is that considered a uh, sort of a sanctioned legal event? Or is it just casual? It's called a voluntary settlement conference. Now, Mm -hmm. sometimes judges sitting on the bench downtown will order you to have a settlement conference, and that would be a mandatory settlement conference. But again, it goes to them. Right. But it still happens usually in an office or a conference room or wherever. And everything that happens during those discussions is completely privileged, meaning you can't, if if it blows up, you can't go to court and say, well, on September 17th, Josh said that he would be happily, happy, give me the house in Malibu. And now he's saying that you can't say that. That, (laughs) Everything's secret. So then what happens, what if that doesn't go well? If it doesn't go well, then you either keep trying or you go to court. Again, one of the reasons that I've done well in this field is not because I'm so smart. It's because I'm a problem solver. So, you know, if the house in Malibu is, if, if it's a $5 million house, are there $5 million houses in Malibu anymore? If it's a $10 million house. Apartments. <laughs> and it's got a $5 million mortgage on it, as long as everyone understands that the equity in the house is only about $5 million. So either one of them is going to get it and get another two five, you know, to the other person, or 
you're going to sell it and you're each going to get two five. That's the equity. You're going to pay the bank back. That's how it works. I mean, like I said, it's not rocket science. Right. And then... So if you really can't work it out and you keep going, keep going, then you set a trial date. And then sometime in 2022, you get in front of a judge and you try the issues that you couldn't resolve. And the judge makes a determination. And now you've spent that 2.5 that you had in equity in the Malibu house on the lawyers. And more. And more. Right? Right. Porsches don't buy themselves. Um, <laughs> you want to hear a crazy story I have? Please. This is fucked up. I love this. So there's this guy I used to box with, hedge fund guy in his 40s, married, divorced. They have a kid. He's paying a healthy amount monthly to her. And maybe you can speak to this because I don't know the exact details. Obviously pay, paying child support and alimony. She meets someone else. Uh, starts dating him, he's well off, gets remarried. So I guess the assumption is at that point that he can stop paying alimony. Correct. Because she's remarried. Usually spousal or supporter alimony will last until death or remarriage. Got it. So remarriage is the cutoff. Well, she, he stops paying the child support, or I'm sorry, the the spousal support, keeps paying the child support couple months goes by, he gets a summons for back payment that he hasn't paid for like over six months. He goes, what do you mean? I, I was at your wedding. Right. She goes, oh no, this was not a wedding. It was a promise of um, loyalty. <laughs> it was a promise ceremony. <laughs> it happens all the time. I mean, people don't have those ceremonies, but they move in. And now, how about this? You have a house... Your wife cheats on you with the tennis instructor. You split up. She gets to the house. The tennis instructor moves into the house. She's getting a support check every month for spousal. She's getting a support check every month for child. The guy she cheated on you with is living in your house, but they're not married because she wants to keep getting her check. Oh, my. Uh, that'd be bad. That would be bad. That's when you'd be like, why didn't you tell me to get that prenup, Wasser? You came in Dude. in 20... 20- <laughs> In 2019. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I just cut to me crying outside the house in probably at this point I'm driving like a Buick and just in my car. Oh, God, that sounds terrible. Yeah. But you know what? I don't know. I feel like everyone's pay- paying some sort of karmic debt inevitably. Like when that bad shit happens, I'm like, you probably screwed over some people in your day too. Perhaps, yes. Um, but yeah, I mean that – that's fascinating that people will just, yeah, because why get married if you're getting like a healthy sum from somebody else? Right. He shouldn't have just assumed that that was over, but I can understand why he would. He was at the wedding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or what he thought. Um, okay. So you talked about this with Neve, but so what are the chief um, things that break people up? I think more than anything, it's a failure to kind of evolve and grow together, a failure mm. to communicate. You know, we, especially as we start getting older and having kids and you, you know, you got two kids, three kids, whatever it is, you're making sure everybody is doing their homework and you're going to back to school night, you're doing all these things. And sometimes you don't really have time to connect with each other. So I always say to people, it's very important to continue communicating, continue connecting, carving out time for date night, carving out time for sex. I Mm. see tons of people that come into my office and I say, just curiosity, when was the last time you had sex with your spouse? Oh, it was like four years ago. That's not good. That's not good. You have to make time because that's an important connection that you have with your spouse. Well, and I find too, like sex is a reflection of how everything else is doing in the relationship, right? To a certain extent. I mean, look, 
everybody has their own situation. There could be somebody listening right now going, Laura Wasser doesn't know what the fuck she's talking about. I haven't had sex with my spouse in three years. We're happy. We love each other. It's fine. God bless. All I'm saying is that for most people, mm. that kind of communication, that kind of intimacy is very important. And I will also say this. If you haven't had sex with your spouse in four years, he or she's probably sleeping with somebody else. For sure, right? I'm Not for sure, but probably. Male or female. Yes. Because we all have needs. We all have needs. And wouldn't it be nice if you got your needs met by the person that you live with? And if you don't, that's a problem. Then there is, you know, people having drug and alcohol abuse issues and issues with kids. Sickness, drug and alcohol abuse or addiction issues with kids are problematic. Uh, and financial woes. Well, and I, just to your point that you were saying before, and I agree, and it's so cheesy, but I once heard a guy say this, that he said, sex should be a celebration of your relationship. And if you're not having sex, it's because you have nothing to celebrate. That's true. I mean, it's sad. And yeah. again, some, and I also know if you've been with the same person for a long time, it's not like it was the first time, year that you guys were having sex. Right. Figure it out. There's also a really good opportunity for this to be the person that you, you're the closest with. You procreated with this person. You were in the delivery room with had there. Figure it out. It may take a second to get into, but figure it out. Whatever you need to do to get back into it, get into it. Because it does. Yeah. You, then you'll have sex again the next day or the next week. Like You just have to get started. Do it in the car, preferably a Porsche if yes. you have one. <laughs> the Porsche may be a little small. Do it in your SUV. <laughs> yeah, buy an Escalade that's just for banging. <laughs> um, uh, and then, so these things, like, I I'm interested for you, like, and, and what do I know? I'm a total neophyte. But, like, when, I, when Pete Davidson and Ariana Grande were dating, I was like, oh, they're never going to stay together. <laughs> never, ever, 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 ever. And of course, it didn't work out, but it's like, not bad people. I just was like, under that guise, there's no way that that can work. But you'd be surprised. I mean, there's certain people out there that have been married for all these, I'm sure, now again, they're older than we are, older mm. than I am even, but like Goldie Hawn and, and Kurt, uh, Russell. Kurt Russell, I'm sure a lot of people were like, oh, they're never going to stay together. They're both actors. They've both been married before. There's no chance. And look at them. They, they're like awesome. You talk to Kate and she's like, that was my role model couple that I saw growing up that were love each other, laugh together, had fun, whatever. You never know. You and then you see the people, like the, my my first, not my husband, but my first baby daddy one, like on paper, he's eight years older than I am. He's like, they used to call him like the Jewish JFK Jr., super handsome still. Great. He was a successful entertainment attorney, still is. Like we both grew up in Beverly Hills. We both went to Beverly High. He went to Stanford. I went to Cal. Like on paper, we were like the perfect power couple. It didn't work. Right. We still love each other. It didn't work. So you never know. But I mean, but Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell never got married, right? Yes, but I don't think that's why they're still together. <laughs> but that being said, yes, maybe that is why. I mean, I do, I'm a big believer if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Would you, would you ever make the case for, I mean, obviously it would hurt business, but just for people not to get married? Yes. And I make that case for a lot of my clients. I see a lot of people that go through miserable divorces and then they like call me a year later and they're like, oh my God, I'm so in love. You need to do the prenup. And I'm like, why? Why with the marriage again? Why is that so important? Yeah. You know? And again, far be it from me. I mean, I do think that weddings are beautiful. I think there are, I, I, but I have no issue. People are like, well, we're, we're getting married for the kids. I got kids. I wasn't married to their dads. My kids seem to be doing okay. I don't know why certain people get married or why it's important. And I'm not too worried about business because we would still be doing custody and support and paternity cases and stuff like that. I do find it interesting, especially like three and four times. Mm. Why? 
That's fascinating. Especially, and I know, I, I usually mostly I'll know guys who've right. been married like five times. A guys week. like to be married. What are you trying to prove? Right. I think it's because we grow up with entertainment feeding us this idea, this picturesque idea of marriage. And and it's like that it's the mecca of domesticity. And do you think also that often those guys are being pressured by their current girlfriends to get married? Probably. And this is the only way that they can keep them around and keep them on their arm as if, oh, you better get married to me. Otherwise, I'm out of here. I think probably, yeah, of course, there's a part of that. And I think... It's also like my wife and I dated for four years and we lived separately, obviously. And then she was just of the type of person that was like, I'm not going to move in until we're engaged. Okay. Which is how I work. And because it meant a lot to her and her parents who are like the greatest. And for me, it was never part of my plans. Right. And I imagine that, no, we have to make sure we can cohabitate in the whole thing. But we had spent four four plus years together. And we kind of knew we'd spend every weekend together. Right. So then how long were you engaged? We were engaged for a little over a year. Okay. And it was working. It was great. Okay. Got engaged and live. And so like at each, every time we've leveled up and I've, you know, given a little bit more of my vulnerability and, and put more skin in the game, I'm rewarded with a deeper level of intimacy. Which is fantastic. And you have yeah. to be willing to take that chance. I mean, it's so, we watch shows like The Fabulous, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Can you believe that those guys must be your parent, your mom, your mom? Yeah, of course. They didn't live together before they got married. Right. They got married and then they like went and moved in and lost their virginity, like all in a week. Like how nuts is that? Crazy. I, I, that would that would be really that would defy my sense of like comfort level or trust. I don't know. I yeah. I when guys have weird egos about like I'm the only one. I'm like yeah, not, no. not for long. <laughs> <laughs> She's got to sow some wild oats, <laughs> right? Yeah. Go out and experience. Listen, I'm not overly impressed with what I've got to offer, but I know that I'm consistent. <laughs> Did you hear that, everybody? He's That's consistent. right, listeners. <laughs> Hit that subscribe button. <laughs> um, uh, wow, it's so it, it's such an interesting dynamic. So what? So now you have this this service, this website that allows people to get divorce easier, right? So it's called it's over easy, mm. which is kind of we know it's not easy, but we want to make it easier the the legal part, the financial part, and also. I was kind of realizing that there was a dearth of information online for people. Most of the people that I've spoken with have said, I'm getting divorced. I really just need to know two things. One, what to expect. Like mm. until you're getting divorced, you never want to know about divorce. Why would you? So so what can I expect? What's coming? What am I going to go through? And give me somebody to communicate with that's been through it on the other side. So we, we created It's Over Easy that will not only let you get the forms and fill them out and go through it, but there is a whole bunch of content, information. Every episode of my podcast is downloaded on there. We have people that submit to us, write in, experts, and we have a forum thing so you can talk to other people in the community. So whether it's here in LA or somebody that's across the country, they're going through it. Oh yeah, I can commiserate a bunch of dads. Oh God, isn't she a bitch? Da, da, da. And then we also have what's called the index, which is like 
anybody that you could imagine for a referral, whether it's somebody to help you get, you know, if you're getting divorced and your spouse always had SAG insurance, now you need to find insurance because it's not available through him or her anymore. That person will help you get insurance. You want to sell your engagement ring. We have an affiliate called Worthy, online engagement ring consignment. If you want to get in shape again, we have dietitians, we have sports clubs, spray tan for dating, dating apps, you know, anything that you can imagine you'd need. Movers, they're on there. So it is one place to go. Anybody that's going through this process, thinking about going through this process, this is where you go to get whatever information, referrals, and the actual forms you need to fill out and go through the divorce process. And now we're national, so we're wow. everywhere. It's too bad you have to be getting divorced to access a website. Like <laughs> you don't a have to be. Resource. You can get. Uh, no, you don't have to be getting divorced. You can access the website no matter what. And also, we have a lot of information on there about relationships, prenuptial agreements, people that maybe were never married but they co-parent together. Mm. So you don't have to be getting divorced, and you don't have to pay anything. It's free too. You only have to pay if you're getting divorced. What's your biggest? Uh, what do you think are, are people's biggest mistakes when? something that they don't do before they get engaged or get married that they that's a total blind spot for people not knowing the law not knowing the law and not talking about their expectations like mm. i don't know if you and your wife spoke about like if she was going to work after you guys had a kid is she going to get back into the workforce is that something that was important if she didn't know, fine. But if she did know and always planned not to, important. Or how much are we going to put aside every year for retirement? Or Barbara, what are we doing about Barbara? I mean, when Barbara right. gets too old to live by herself, she's coming to live with us. I can't put her in assisted living. You understand that, right? So right. People- I hope my mom's not listening. <laughs> Babs, you're going to go to the best assisted living <laughs> Southern California has to offer. And I'm going to visit twice a month. Oh, least. Jesus. That kidding. will not do. That kidding. will not do. Twice a I day. I got your back, Babs. Um, Yeah, these are things people should talk about. And again, keeping those lines of communication open and having the conversations because then nobody gets to go like, I had no idea. Now, again, you can change your mind. Mm. I know plenty of people who said, I'm totally going back to work after I have kids. And then they have kids and they go, there's no way I could possibly go back to work. Fine. Now we have to readjust what our decisions are, how much we're going to put aside. Hey, if you're not going back to work, your mom's not coming to live with us because, you know, we won't have enough money. Have those conversations. Keep it up. That's, I think, the biggest blind spot that people really don't realize, A, what the law is and B, what the deal is. Do you ever go to your client's new weddings? Yes. Always a good time, right? I can pass out cards. It is always I love a good that. time. Never. <laughs> it is always a good time. And, you know, I'm not, I mean, I don't often become friends with my clients, but because, you know, there's a kind of a small pool in Southern California, there's people that I'll know from other things, or my boyfriend might be friends with some of them. So, yes, I will be there. And it, look, I love weddings. It's fun. It's love. It's a celebration. What was it? A celebration of a promise to loyalty or whatever the fuck, whatever that is. Yeah. Um, so it's nice and it's a good party and you get to get dressed up and it's a lot of fun. I think they're great. What I think is sometimes people put too much emphasis on the party and the romance and what it looks like and not on what you're actually doing on that day. And that's why I think if you're not getting a prenup, you should at least be having conversations that would coincide with a prenup so that the serious part is also being addressed. You know what I can't stand at weddings? What? When people write their own vows. Enough of this. Right. Say it in privacy. We don't need to hear your vows. I, If I have to hear another fucking millennial say, you're my best friend, <laughs> you're my lover, like, I'm just like, we get it. Enough. Can we get to the hors d'oeuvres? We're starving. <laughs> it's enough. Um, okay. Last question. It's what I ask everyone on the podcast. 
What are your one or two Laura Wasser commandments, truths that you have discovered that you would want to impress upon someone else? I'd say they are, one, don't judge. Mm. You never know what's going on. Don't judge. And two, be nice. Be kind. That's the most important thing, I think. You can be witty and you can be funny and you can be great looking and smart. But what I say to my kids and what I say to my clients is be kind. It will come back. It will make you feel good too. And that's what we all need right now in this world is a little bit of kindness. So go spread it. Love it. Thank you. Thanks. This is great. Thank you. That was it. That was Laura. Come on. I what who's doing it like me? Huh? Dax Shepard? I think not. Fine. Dax is killing it. He's I just have a bit of a resentment. I don't. I'm I wish I was more resentful. I'm just utterly in awe and, and just a big fan. Big fan, Dax. Feel free to come on the pod, but why would you? Right? You're doing fine. You don't need me. Anyway, guys. Have a great rest of your day. Love you. Have a good week. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. I don't know how to end this except to say bye.